Welcome uh, again to Redeemer Church. My name is uh, David and I am the pastor here at Redeemer and I am so glad to be back because I've been gone the last couple of weeks. I got to, uh, actually since the first time since we launched, I took a vacation on a Sunday and I uh, was able to to get some rest, see my family in Kentucky, and uh, and it was really great. I am very rested and relaxed, and that first Sunday, last Sunday was at our Pearland campus preaching, but that first Sunday where I was on vacation, I wasn't here, I want to be honest, like I actually missed you all in this place. I love this place. It was weird not to be here, and um, I'll be also be honest and say I didn't miss you enough not to thoroughly enjoy myself on vacation. But uh, but I did I did miss you guys and I'm really glad to be back. Um, we start a new series of messages today uh, that are um, it's titled uh, "Pesumer in the Psalms." And uh, I bet you didn't know that there was a silent C in front, uh, a silent P in front of "summer," did you? It's a brand new thing. You probably knew there was a P in front of the word psalm, and uh, not to nerd out on you, but maybe if you're, if you're a trivia person, this will come handy later on. Did you know that in Greek, which is where the word psalm comes from, the P was actually pronounced, like uh, in other words in our language that have a silent P on the front of them, had a pronounced P, pneumonia, pterodactyl, psalms, and now I'm introducing you to psummer. And, uh, and I'm hoping that we will see how well this study goes when we do this series. And I promise now that I will stop, okay? Um, but uh, yeah, what we're going to do is take a, uh, one psalm every Sunday and, and kind of just open it up and see uh, what it is that God would say to us from these, this psalm. And, uh, and, and I actually have really enjoyed preparing this, this series of messages. I think that the book is going to maybe open up to you all and, and, and hopefully a new way, and you're going to see how rich and wonderful and raw and real it is and how much it can help you in um, following Jesus uh, every day. Let's go ahead and, and pray, and then I'll talk a little bit about the book as a whole. Heavenly Father, uh, we are so blessed to get to come here and to be um, your people in this place on this morning, Lord, we um, thank you for that opportunity. We thank you um, for the uh, chance that we have just to open up your Bible and to, to try to understand the things that you've spoken to us, and, and, and especially now as we open up the book of uh, Psalms, Lord. I pray that you would, you would soften our hearts and ready our minds, and by your Holy Spirit, uh, you would be at work to, to say the things that we need to hear um, that are encouraging, that are supportive, that are challenging, that would, that would spur us on towards the greater life that you offer to every single one of us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, so um, book of Psalm. What is a psalm? A psalm is actually... Uh, a poem, that is literally how the word translates. And what the book of Psalms is, is it's a collection of ancient Hebrew poems that uh, actually come from all different periods in Israelite history. They were collected up, put into a book, and, um, and they're actually written by a lot of different people. 
The bulk of them, 73 of the Psalms, were written by uh, King David, one of the main characters of the Old Testament. 73 of them trace back to him, but there's a lot of other authors that um, if you look at the Psalms, you'll notice have had some sort of writing or maybe played a part in the writing of a Psalm. King David, Asaph, there's a group of guys called the Sons of Korah, probably have a very proud father. Ethan, Solomon, Hezekiah, I think 43 of them are anonymous. And my favorite author is, is of a psalm is uh, the master of the universe. Um, He-Man uh, gets a shout out in Psalm 88. There's a guy named He-Man who, uh, who wrote it. Um, the, the, there's actually, um, I mentioned they were poems. And, and so what a lot of people have, have, have said is maybe the psalms are, are like a hymn book. Like maybe the psalms are like the book of hymns in a traditional worship service that in a Christian church that you'd open up and read and sing. But that's actually not what is going on here. They are uh, poems. Some of them were made into songs. A lot of them became part of the heartbeat of worship and were sung in Israel's temple over the years. But that's actually not what the book of Psalms is or was. It, it actually was... Um, it was a theological book compiled uh, where all these psalm, po- poems were collected probably after the, the, the Israelites returned back to Israel after they were exiled in Babylon. So after they were taken to these people away and they came back, some, some person, we don't know who it is, collected all these psalms, put them together in this book and had very... Uh, focused intent and desire when he put them together, when this person uh, made the book of Psalms. And there's actually a structure that I, th- that's very helpful in knowing, and, 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 I, and it's hard to see if you just open up your Bible to the thick part of the middle, which is what most people, what we all probably have done when we open up the Psalms. There's, a, there's an intentional structure, and, and, and it's easy to see it if you begin at the end. The last... Uh, Five Psalms, 146 through 150, begin and end with the word hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's a word that you've probably heard before. You probably have some idea of, of what it means. Um, you've probably heard it as ad nauseum based on a Leonard Cohen song uh, that was played and covered over and over and over again after that man passed away. A, a very good song, a very interesting song. But uh, hallelujah, based on the context that we know it in, we, we think that it probably means something like, without having looked up a definition, to exalt, to praise, to give thanks. And, and that's partly it, but it's actually more specific and focused than that. Hallelujah is, is a command uh, that means to praise. Like, you need to praise. You ought to praise. Be praising. And yah, so it's two words that come together. Yah is a shortened version of the div- divine Hebrew name, Yahweh. And so every time you say hallelujah, what you're actually saying is praise God. Be praising the God of Israel. And, and, and at the beginning and the end of all of those five psalms, uh, there is this praise the God of Israel. And so what it looks like is that the person who structured the book made this really nice ending with these five psalms having the beginning and end begin with praise Yahweh. And it begs the question, is there other places in the book where we see intentional structure? And the answer is yes. There are actually five different collections of books inside of the Psalms. If you actually go and open up the book of Psalms and piece through it, you're going to notice an editorial note at books um, 
3, 4, 42, 73, 90, and 107 that says book one, book two, book three, book four, book five. And if you look at like what's going on in those collections, there is some like internal consistency in thought and design and there are themes that come forward. And at the end, one of the reasons we, we clearly know that this is the end of the book is because every single one of those groupings goes back and says, uh, may the Lord God of Israel be blessed forever and ever, amen and amen. It's at the end of all those. So it's a clear mark that there was something there. And so here's an ending with intentional design. Here is a middle with intentional design. It begs the question, is there an introduction? And the answer is yes. Psalms 1 and 2 serve as an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. And we know that because uh, a couple reasons. One, book uh, 1 was written mostly by King David. Psalms 1 and 2 are anonymous. We don't know who the authors are. The second reason is the message and intent behind both of the books and the way that they're connected by this word, blessed. Psalm 2 uh, actually begins, and it's this incredible God-fearing, God-breathed thing that centuries before Jesus ever stepped on the earth, Psalm 2 is a, is a looking forward to a Messiah which is a theme that, 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 that's, that's there in the rest of the book. But it looks forward to the coming of Jesus. Uh, there is, uh, it's actually probably a reflection on an interaction that God has with King David that you can read in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Um, but it talks about this messianic king who is going to come and end evil in the world and defeat rebellion among the nations and establish God's kingdom. And then it concludes by saying everyone who takes refuge in this king will be blessed. And, and so it, it really is this incredible thing uh, almost a millennia before Jesus steps foot on the earth, here we have uh, the, this book of Psalms and, and, and a reference to, to, to Jesus and, and, and uh, people recognizing that there's a blessedness for those who trust their life in him. But it's that word blessed that carries over to the first psalm. The last word of the second psalm is the first word of the entire book. Blessed is the one, Psalm 1, and that's the one that we're going to look at and examine this morning. Let me go ahead and read it. I'm going to read from the NIV, Psalm 1. If you don't know where the Psalms are, like I said, open up your Bible to the middle, and you're probably there. Uh, you're welcome to follow along. It's going to be on the screens as well. Here it is. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Okay, so here we are, the book of Psalms. The entire book of Psalms begins by describing a person, the one. Some translations say, blessed is the man. And what do we know about this man? Well, there's one qualifier, one adjective to describe him, and it's this word, blessed. This is a blessed person. And, uh, and this is a word that we don't often 
used today in normal uh, speech, probably not at all where I'm from in the northern part of the United States. In the south, I have noticed is sometimes if you ask somebody, you know, how are you doing today? Somebody will say, I'm blessed, right? <laughs> and, and there's a very intentional meaning typically when somebody says that. Uh, but, but there's also a very intentional meaning in Hebrew when this word blessed is, is used. And, um, and probably the most, uh, l- the strongest way to translate it is, is to, to say actually happy. Happy is the one, is how the beginning of this psalm starts. But it's not like uh, the same kind of happiness that we typically think of. Like, this isn't what happens in our minds when endorphins get fired off when we hear the word bluebell ice cream, right? This is, this is more of a substantial happiness, like something that is lasting, that's stronger. It's got to do with sustainability, with fulfillment, and... Um, and uh, and and it, it's some it's often maybe sometimes people make the contrast between joy and happiness and joy is long lasting happiness is temporary that's the idea this is less uh, like Pharrell Williams like happiness is a room without a roof if you feel like happiness is the truth and blessedness is more like knowing a truth that then can anchor you in a state of happiness. That's the idea that, that, that's going on here. And so that's how the psalm begins. Here is a person who is blessed, who knows joy, who is happy. And I think that should immediately perk up some ears because it's describing a person saying this is a person who's blessed. What does their life look like? How are they happy? Happiness is something that perks up ears because it's something that I think almost all of us want. We want to have a life filled with joy. And I know that because I did a little Google research and I typed in how can I be blank and let autofill fill it in. Guess what the second one on there was? Happy. Right? This is something that people deeply desire, and we desire a happiness that lasts uh, long after the music is over, right? Something that, that is fundamental to who we are, something that, 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 that is at the center of our being, like, like the kind of joy that, that, that kids have, that just have like this inherent bent in their hearts towards a smile on their face and a playfulness. I, I remember yesterday was thinking about this and I had my kids at my, the park and I watched my little baby girl, Jordan, two years old, running through this park um, with bare feet, feeling the grass on her feet and laughing, getting the mud between her toes and smiling and enjoying that. She, she chased these two birds for 10 minutes, just running around, gallivanting through the field like only a two-year-old can do and just having a great time. And I mean, that's the kind of joy, the happiness that just is there in kids. And, and it made me wonder and sit there and look at her and say, man, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to, to keep having that kind of joy and wonder like all throughout your life to just carry that with you? I know that's something that I want, that I would love to have. And I think most of us, um, Actually, if we're going to be honest about it, as adults, wonder if it's even possible. I think that a lot of people in our world today are wondering, can I really be happy? That's why Google autofills happy in that search line, because there are 
hundreds of millions of people searching for happiness, literally searching for happiness. And, and a lot of us over time kind of get the sense that maybe we can't really be fundamentally ha- happy in, in our lives. Uh, Mark Twain in his diary once wrote, um, sanity and happiness are an impossible combination. No sane man can be happy for to him life is real and he sees what a fearful thing it is. That's kind of a very real (laughs) quote, a strong dose of reality from Twain. I love Tuck Finn. I do not think Twain is right, but honestly, I do think I I understand what he is saying. Uh, It it seems to me what he's saying is that all of us at some point in our lives kind of wake up to the hardness and harshness and brokenness of life. We, We see clearly we are sane and we look at life and experience things that make us doubt this kind of inherent joy that we're kind of born with. Most of us are born with as kids. And, and usually there's like an experience that we have where suddenly we, we wake up to it. It's, it's like, uh, you know, y- you, you're a kid and your parents forget to turn off the local news and you watch the first five minutes, right? <laughs> and then you ask a question about the horrible thing that you just saw, right? You're... Uh, you, you are growing up and you discover that someone you knew and loved wasn't who you thought that they were. You find out that your family is broken and fractured, right? And suddenly your world starts to crumble. You, you, um, you, you hear for the first time this word called cancer, right? And suddenly the world is not as it, as it is. And, and those things accumulate in, in our lives. And many people over time get this kind of cloud that settles in over them and they get jaded and they filter life's, life's view through this lens of, of pain and they say, I don't know if we can be happy. I don't know if I can live life with any kind of fundamental happiness. And, um, and I, I'm not a fan of, uh, of Shakespeare. I uh, have not read a lot of Shakespeare, but there is this line from Macbeth that kind of came to mind here that I heard and I could never forget it. It's, it's this life is a story told by an idiot, full of noise and emotional disturbance, but devoid of meaning. Wow. Like, like, like and, and I, I don't think that's an uncommon sentiment, especially in our darker moments. And maybe we don't always feel like this, but I, I think the first question that I, I want you to ask yourself it is this, do I think I can be happy? Is happiness possible? Can I live life with a fundamental joy? <coughs> ask yourself that question. And if you hesitate at all to say a resounding yes to that, let me tell you, I think this psalm is exactly for you. Uh, because here's the good news. The psalm answers that. With a resounding, yes, absolutely you can be happy. There is a blessed person, and this is what their life looks like. And so this is, this is the picture. This psalm is for you. Read it, hear it, listen to it. Know that, that according to the scripture, happiness is within reach, and, and there is a fundamental joy that, that is bigger than the circumstances of here and now that is offered to every single one of us. And let me, let me show you some of the way that picture gets painted 
the psalmist begins by, by actually first offering us the negative picture, telling us what that life does not look like. And there are three things that this happy, blessed person does not do. Verse, verse uh, 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. That's the negative. That's the way he describes it. And although it's not in the text, I tried to help you see something that's, that's there, walking, standing, sitting. There's a real comprehensiveness intended in the way that the psalmist talks about this. There's not too many things that you can, you can do uh, with your body or life than walk, stand, or sit. I guess you could run. Maybe you could negatively run with the homies or something. But, uh, but, but the, the purpose that the psalmist wants us to get is that like there is a way of life. There's things that you can do with your life that can be negative. And, and, and he even goes into it in the way that he, that he talks about. Walk in step with the wicked. Another way that that gets translated is, is walk in step, uh, walk in the counsel of the wicked. Like in the words and the ideas of the wicked. And it's aimed at our intellect. It's like, what are the ideas and the thoughts that, that you're letting get into your own head? Are they not good? Are they, in the words of the psalmist, wicked? Are they aimed towards things that are not positive and good in your life? You know, are those voices there? Stand in the way that sinners take. This is actually aimed at behavior. Standing with a, in, in a way of a people is to act in the way of the people. And in, 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 uh, in the, the mind of this psalmist, and so he's asking, are your behaviors like those who are missing God's mark? That's the definition of sin. So sinners are people who are missing God's mark. So is your life lining up in a way where you're missing God's mark? Sit in the company of mockers. In the ancient world, the people who you sit w- sat with are people that you had solidarity with, people who you actually in some ways belonged to. And so if you sat next to people who were mocking, who were jaded, who were cynical, you became, in some ways, you belonged to those people. And so this is a really simple, clear, negative uh, example that's given. It's, it's you need to watch the way in which your life is there. If you want, do you want to be happy? Well, then look around and think about the influences and the people and the voices that are going on in in your life. Don't listen to, behave like, or spend all your time with those who are going to steal your joy. It's just incredibly clear and simple. Happiness is absolutely related to those things. And just take a moment. If you answered, I'm not sure I can be happy, maybe the first question to ask yourself is, are there those things in my life? Am I listening to those voices? Are there behaviors that I need to change? Are there people who are not helpful in me finding joy? Blessed are you, happy are you, when you don't have those things in your life. And that's verse one, very simple, clear. But I, I want you to be uh, to understand here, that's just part of this psalm. That's only uh, actually the smaller part of the road to happiness that is here in this scripture. It's very much there, but uh, Christianity is a lot more than behavior modification. It's a lot more than the Ten Commandments do not. There's a good news. There's a way of life that is offered, and um, 
And, and so I, I, the actual greater part of this psalm uh, is, is what comes next. And what we would expect if, if it was uh, behavior modification in this psalm is after we were listed these three things that we ought not to do, what we would expect is to see three things that we ought to do. It would run the parallel. We see that in other places in the psalm, but that's not the place, that's not the way that the psalmist goes. In fact, uh, what, what the, the psalmist does is he actually paints a picture. He gives us a practical image of what a blessed, happy life looks like. And, um, and, and he, here it is, uh, verse, verse 3. That person, the blessed one, the happy one, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So what does the blessed one, the happy one's life look like? Like a tree. Yes, it tells us that it looks like a tree, but a very specific tree, a tree planted by streams of water. Not planted just anywhere, not living just anywhere, but next to uh, a stream of water. And that would have been a pretty potent metaphor uh, because remember where the people are that are hearing this for the first time. Right? They are in the hot, dry, arid climate of the Middle East. It's pretty important to get water there. Not unlike the hot, not so dry uh, but still very hot climate of Houston, Texas, right? We get this metaphor as well. If you're a tree and you are not planted near water in Houston, Texas, uh, what do we do? We irrigate. We bring water to you or else it's likely you're not going to make it, especially if you're a young tree, right? In the Middle East, they brought the trees to the water because they didn't have irrigation during this time but they wanted that tree to live. And so actually in the Middle East, uh, this is such a potent metaphor because entire civilizations grew up along water. It was the only way to survive. Egypt's got a population of 90 million people. The whole thing, almost the whole thing is up and down the banks of the Nile River, right? The, the, the people who got this understand, understood it. We have to get water. We have to get something that gives life in order to get life. And so what's, what's the point that the psalmist is trying to make? It's that our happiness, our life joy, depends on where we are positioned. Depends on where you position your own life. If you want to be happy, to know joy, you have to get your roots into something that is going to give you life. You have to put down in places that are life-giving. Or else, you're going to dry up. You're, you're going to wither. And, and, and the purpose of the psalmist saying, but those who do not are like chaff and will blow away, that's not a punishment for doing wrong. It's the result of not being next to water. Just like uh, everything that they do prospers, the tree that's planted by the stream, that's not a reward for saying, yes, I'm a good Christian, I did a good job. It's the result of putting your life in a place where you get nutrients and, and the things that you need to live a, a happy, blessed life. And so here's the next question. you got to ask yourself, this is the, the question that the psalmist is begging, where are you positioning your life? Where is my life positioned? Where are the roots of my happiness found? Where am I trying to find it? 
happiness. And I think actually if you and I are going to be honest, we probably have never, we, we usually don't even ask the question. We just want to be happy. Like we, don't, we don't ever get, take a step back and logically think about where am I deriving my happiness for? No, what we do is we, we ride the circumstances, we track with the things that are going on in our lives, and therefore our happiness is dependent on our circumstances. It's just the, the reaction that we have to the things that happen in our lives. And so what that means is that my happiness can get determined by how well I completed my last project at work or whether or not the boss thought that I did well, even though I know that I crushed it, right? That can make me very unhappy. Like, I, I can have happiness based on whether or not uh, my salary is at a certain level, or the stock market did well. That we, we can determine our happiness based on that. We can determine our happiness, how the oil market is doing, may depend base our job on it. We can make our happiness about whether or not my kids lost it at the grocery store. Did I survive that last trip to the supermarket, right? Many people uh, base their happiness on the result of a sports game score, right? I am happy because the Astros won. You're more happy uh, today than you were uh, before, very much so. Actually, if you based your happiness on the Astros, you've lived a pretty miserable existence up until this point. I'm sorry. I'm glad things are better for you now. Um, but you got to base your happiness in something outside of the external circumstances that you cannot control. We have to find a way to anchor ourselves in things that, 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 that are there constantly, that's always there. Otherwise, how can you ever expect to experience fundamental joy? You cannot. You have no control of it. You're just going to track with whatever happens in your life. And I think this is where Mark Twain was right. This is where he was speaking very sanely. Life is hard. It beats down on us. If you're like a tree in the desert, you know that sun is going to come and you know that life is going to get tough. But the way to survive it is to put our roots down into something else, not to try to eliminate all the unhappy things. It's to anchor ourselves so that we can withstand the unhappy things that do happen. And, and, and there's no amount of control or money or power that's going to let us make those external circumstances be what we want them to be. The only thing that we can control is where our life is going to be positioned. So we have got to position our lives in something else. And that is not the circumstances that happen day to day. It's not even in ourselves. It's not trying to conjure up whatever happiness we think we can, we can make out of nothing. It, it's t it's to, to search and seek and find happiness in something outside of ourselves. And I think when you make that realization... When you realize that happiness has got to ba be based in something outside of your circumstances, outside of yourself, suddenly you have new ears to hear the gospel. Suddenly the promises of Jesus and God are real in a way that, that maybe you never saw them before. Let me just read you some of them. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Whose yoke are you wearing? Who's, not, not yours. You put on Jesus's yoke because your life, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, who are lacking the joy that we want. We then find that Jesus's life on ours, guiding ours, is easy and light. Colossians 2, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk with him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So you hear that language of rootedness? You were now rooted and established in your faith because you walked with who? You walked your life? No, because you walked with him. You walked with God's life. You're positioning yourself next to, to Jesus, right? Ephesians 3, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you too, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That you would have strength, he says, in your inner man. Like the, the strengthening of who, who we are in our spiritual beings, that, that's where happiness comes from. And there's that rootedness language. And where does the rootedness come from? It comes from knowing the truth about the love of God. How wide and how deep and how long and how high. That's where you put your roots. And... Um, and, and consistently, over and over, those are just a couple of the many verses that capture the thrust of the Bible. A Christian isn't someone who doesn't do certain things and does other good things. It's a person who positions their life by faith in Jesus and in this relationship with God. They are a person rooted and planted in something other than themselves. And, and that's why the Bible talks about being partakers in a divine nature. We have had something outside of us become a part of who we are and inside of us and so that we are now planted like a tree next to a stream and and we get all that we need now we have this like way to look at life and experience the bad things that give us this power and this outlook that th that yields true joy even when the world's falling apart all around us that's the, the witness of Scripture. Root yourself, n root your life, not in yourself, but in Jesus. The secret to happiness is rooting your life in God. Okay, and, and here's the last place that the psalmist goes, that I, I want you to see this. He actually tells us one of the ways that we can do this. Um, he tells us how to position our lives in God. Verse 2 but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He delights in the law of the Lord, the blessed one, the happy one, and on that law he meditates day and night. All right, so this is not the law that, that you may be thinking of, the Ten Commandments, the do nots list. It's part of it, but no, like, like what the, the Hebrew people would have had in mind when they heard this word law was uh, the tor Torah. Torah, this is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the word that's used for law in Hebrew. So they're hearing, delight yourself in those five books, in the wisdom of God in those five books. And they would have heard that and said, yes, 
I, I get it. This is how we've built our life. This is the thing that we've anchored ourselves in. And it's true. That's what he's saying. You need to do that. But it's actually even more specific than that. And this is where I think this is really cool. I hope, I hope you appreciate this as much as myself, the Bible nerd, appreciates it as much. So there's five books in the Torah, right? Remember how the Psalms are structured? There's five Psalms at the end that begin and end with hallelujah. There's five books in the middle of the book of Psalms that praise God, right? So there's five in the Torah. What the psalmist is saying in this first introduction to the Psalms, saying, guess what I'm giving you right here and right now? This collection of poems, these real raw prayers and and thoughts and things that people are saying in their relationship with God and trying to live through life, they are like a new Torah. Take the book of Psalms just like you would have taken the first five books of the Bible and put your roots down in it. Pray these prayers, read these poems, hear the things that are said there, let them be words for you, these God-breathed words as you're living life, and learn to anchor yourself in these songs uh, let them be a part of who you are. Breathe them in, breathe them out, and, and use them to position your life with God. That is what Psalm 1 is saying about the entire book of Psalms. And so it's a great way to, for us to enter into this book of Psalms. And it's a great way for me to, to actually challenge you. One of the things that um, we are very committed to here at Redeemer is helping everybody grow in their faith, so here is an opportunity to grow. Um, I want to offer you the Psalmer and the Psalms challenge, okay? I w- this is a chance to, to act on what uh, God offers us here in Psalm 1, to meditate on the law, on the Psalms, both day and night. I'm, I'm going to uh, ask you to take a Psalm. It can be any Psalm. You can do one for seven days. This one that we started with, you can do uh, a different one every day. There's 150. If you start and you don't like it, go to the next one. There's a lot more going on. And I want you to read it in the morning and think about it. I want you to stop, to meditate over it. Think about the the things that it says. And I'm asking you to pray it. We're going to post an article on Facebook about how to pray the Psalms. And I want you to just take five or ten minutes and just sit in those psalms. You're rooting your life in something outside of yourself. That's what the psalmist is saying. Be like a tree planted by water. Here's some water, right? Put your roots down here. And so uh, try it. There's actually, the summer right now is a really great time to start. We've got actually about 40 days before school starts for most people. And so uh, in the morning, Get up, read a psalm in the evening, read that same psalm, think about it, meditate over it. Let me tell you how I'm um, going to try to do it. I'm actually uh, not too bad at doing it at night. Uh, long after my wife is honking Z's next to me, I, I'm not too bad. <laughs> she was here. She did not like that comment last time. <laughs> she, she falls asleep before me, but I like to, uh, I like to, to just take a moment and, and, and pray before bed. But the, the place that I have struggled with this is in the morning time. 
in the beginning. Like, I get up, and I'm kind of a lazy son of a gun, and so I want every moment in that bed that I can have. And then the kids are there, and i got to make breakfast and get them off. And so uh, what I would suggest that you do, like me, find a place where you can structure it into your routine. Take a moment uh, before you hop into the shower to read that psalm. And then as you're washing, think about, think about it, you know? Think, think about it. Pray through it. God, help me to, be, to, to want and desire the blessedness that you talk about in, in Psalm 1. God, help me to, to put my roots down in, in the life, in the stream that, that you offer us. Think through those things. Do that. And I think after 40 days of that pattern in your life, what you're going to find actually is you're going to be a little bit happier. But here's why. Because you're rooting your life in something that isn't in you. It's not based on your circumstances. You're going to have anchored it in this relationship that you have with God. And that's the key. And that's my challenge to you. You got 40 days uh, and, and, and do it. Okay? All right, amen, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this book of Psalms. We thank you for the many things that you have said in real honest ways through it, the, the, the ways that your servants, those who have known you and followed you, have written down the things on their hearts and how we can lean into them. And Lord, I pray uh, that we would be able to do that for, for these next days ahead of us during this series that, that we would appreciate the Psalms, that we would read them, that we would pray them, and, and that they would give us life and joy, the thing that, that we find only in you. And we pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.